Well, memory can be a wonderful gift, but it can also be a tricky thing. We've all been there uh, where our memory has failed us, whether we've lost our car keys somewhere, our cell phone, we can't forget some, we can't remember someone's name or uh, an experience that we had long ago. We've all been there where memory has failed us. And failing to remember something can make it difficult to live. I want you to imagine for a moment if your memory was completely erased, couldn't remember your name, couldn't remember your home address, your family, who you are, make it really, really difficult to live. So you could say that remembering well is to live well. And I think the same principle applies spiritually, that forgetting your past, forgetting who you were before God saved you can negatively impact how you live in your relationship with God in the present, which is exactly why Paul commands us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 to remember. This is a command in Ephesians 2. This is not a suggestion. This is not uh, an option. We are to remember. But remember what? Remember how good of a person we were before God saved us? Remember how much that we stood out and how desperate God was to get us on his team? No, we are to remember our dreadful condition before God saved us. Now, we're to remember that not in order to wallow in our guilt, not to wallow in our condemnation, but we are to remember with the aim of worship. We are to remember with the goal of deepening our appreciation for all that Jesus has done for us. See, if we are going to be in all of the cross, we need to be reminded of the need for the cross. That if we want to love Jesus much, if we are going to appreciate all that he has done for us on the cross, we need to remember the depths from which he has saved us. If we want to treasure all that we have in him, we need to remember who we were without him. And so in this one verse alone, Paul calls us to remember three aspects to our condition before God saved us. The first one is that we were separated from Christ. This means that we were far from him, that there was distance, there was space, there was detachment. And the distance within our relational separation from Christ was not just a few spiritual inches. No, there was a, an eternal chasm between us and the holiness of God. And the reason for that is because we've all sinned. We've all sinned against an eternal and holy God. There's no such thing as a person before coming, becoming a Christian who was close to becoming a Christian. There's no such thing as a person who has performed enough good works where they're close to getting into heaven. No, all of us have experienced this separation from God. When I think about the separation, I think about Adam and Eve in the garden, that before they sinned, they had this closeness. They were near to God. They walked with God. They talked with God. They had full intimacy with God. But then they sinned, and they were casted out from God's presence. They were unable to remain in the garden. There was separation. There was this gap that they could not close on their own. And now we all have this separation from God. And because of this separation from God, the wrath of God now abides upon us, according to John 3. And unless God himself intervenes to lift his wrath from us, our darkened minds become darker. Our hardened hearts become harder. 
Our crooked wills become even more crooked. See, before God saved us, we were slaves to sin, stockpiling all the while the only wages our master's sin could give us, which is death. See, deep down, before God saved us, we knew that there was something wrong. Maybe we wouldn't have articulated that way, but something was gnawing at us. We've all experienced that physical separation from a loved one, whether we had a spouse go on a work trip for a few days, or maybe a loved one has passed away. And in that separation, we, we say within our own hearts, this is not how it's supposed to be. That's what we've all experienced spiritually in this separation before God has saved us. But the second thing that Paul calls us to remember in our condition before our salvation is alienation. He says, remember that you were at that time alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. This means to be rejected, to be cut off, to be kept from something. Another way of saying this is that we were excluded from being part of God's people. We were excluded from being citizens in God's kingdom, excluded from belonging in God's family. And we were excluded from the blessing, the protection, the love, the covenants, the promises, the guidance of God. And the reality of this alienation, it results in eternal condemnation. See, the reality is is that each and every one of us will very soon stand before a just and holy judge, a judge whose eyes are are too pure to look at anything that is evil, a judge where we will stand before him and all of our sins will be laid bare before him, including our secret sins. And what hope will we have in that moment? What, What will be Our defense in that moment as all of our sin, all of our guilt is revealed before this just judge. There's nothing apart from Christ. There's no hope apart from Jesus. That we were hopelessly condemned, which which leads to this third aspect that Paul calls us to remember, hopelessness. He says, remember that you were at that time, you had no hope. You were without God. Our future outlook was tragic. Our trajectory was consumed with destruction. Uh, Hope is the profound blessing that that gives meaning and security to life. That living without hope of future reduces man to a piece of meaningless existence. That's what we were because we were without God. The portrait of humanity under sin and apart from God is a bleak one. It's so bleak that many just choose not to remember this altogether. They try to just forget about their condition before God saved them. And yet, when we heed Paul's command here, when we remember well our condition before God saved us, it leads us to a place that we do not expect. It doesn't lead us outside of the garden far from God. It does not lead us beside the lake of fire of judgment. It leads us to a different place. It leads us to Calvary. It leads us to to sitting underneath the storm clouds of Calvary, where Romans 5.8 tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That remembering our sin well, remembering our condition 
leads us right to the cross. That while we could not escape our depravity, while we could not earn God's approval, while we could not avoid condemnation, the perfect Son of God, Jesus Christ, spilled his precious blood for us on the cross of Calvary. That because our sin was great, Jesus suffered greatly. That because our separation was great, because our alienation was great, because our hopelessness was great, Jesus suffered greatly. And when Jesus came 2,000 years ago, instead of being received, he was rejected. Instead of being crowned as king, he was crucified. That he was beat, he was mocked, he was spat upon. The people who crucified him watched him die, not knowing that his death would be the means of salvation. Look, Jesus did all of that. He stood there on the cross and he absorbed all of the wrath of God. God just poured out all of his just wrath upon his own son. Jesus went through all of that when we were his enemies, when we were sinners, when we were separated and alienated and without hope. And look, remembering our sin in this way doesn't lead us to despair. It leads us to deeper assurance. See, Good Friday reminds us that as Jesus died for us, we weren't worthy objects. We were objects of his wrath when Jesus died for us. And so if Jesus died for us then when we wanted nothing to do with him, then will he not surely go on loving us now? See, if God displayed his love for us when, when we were separated and alienated and without hope, then now that we're in Christ, will he not persist in loving us forevermore? See, our sin reminds us that the love of God never rested on our worthiness, for we had none, but only on Jesus's worthiness. John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, famously said on his deathbed, I am a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. Those two statements always belong together. For if our sin was small, then our Savior is small. But if we were separated, if we were alienated, if we had no hope, if we were condemned and depraved, then thoughts about Christ can never be too great. So Paul calls us to remember because we so often forget. He calls us to remember that we were once separated and alienated and hopeless because then and only then will it mean something now that we are forgiven, that we are reconciled, that we are adopted into his family, that we are saved. See, Good Friday reminds us of the cost that Jesus went through in order to bring us back to God. Good Friday reminds us that because God loved us then, he will always love us forever. That Good Friday reminds us that Jesus made a way when there was no way. That Jesus took upon himself all that we deserved so that we can receive all that is Jesus's.
Well, this evening we have an opportunity to take communion together. And one of the great purposes of communion is to do exactly what Ephesians chapter 2 calls us to do, is to remember, to pause, to stop, and to reflect on what Jesus has done for us on the cross of Calvary. And so this evening, as we look at these elements and we consider the bread, the bread represents the body of Jesus. And as we think about Jesus dying on the cross, it it represents Jesus' body, which was torn for us. And as we think about the the cup and the juice, it represents Jesus' blood that was spilled for us, that through that we can be forgiven and have salvation. And as we take these elements tonight, these elements should taste so sweet, not because they taste good, but because we know what they represent. We know that they represent eternal life for those who believe in Jesus. And so this evening, uh, we have three stations before us. And when you're ready, we're going to have a couple of songs, at least three songs this evening, as we just continue to reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus. Just when you're ready, just come, come up here, take a piece of bread. You can dip it uh, in the juice there and take it right there, and then go back to your seat and worship. But I want to read for us 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to reflect on this. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's pray together as we prepare our hearts. God, in this moment now, Lord, I pray that you would press into our hearts the great sacrifice of Jesus. Lord, help us to take it in. Lord, all that he went through for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.